Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And it's Sounding Board. Sounding Board. It's just a sounding board. It's a board. Of sound. How are you all doing this morning? I don't know, because there is a wall between us. A A digital wall. I was going to say, like, what wall? Are they, like, outside of our apartment? All of them? That'd be... That'd be interesting. I want to say first off, I'm always surprised when someone's like, oh, we listen to your podcast. So, <laughs> period. <laughs> that's, the, that's all I wanted to say. No, um, I uh, I feel like there are a lot of people that we know. There are people that make dope art. Like, it's always surprising to me. Like, Mallory Harding just reached out to us. And we're going to have her on the show yeah. soon. And um, folks that I, like, know of the art they make and stuff like that, like, if you listen to the show, like, we love knowing that people listen. Like, please reach out. Let us know. Um, let us know what you think. Like, even if you just are like, hey, you know, this one thing you said made me think. That's, you know. Yeah, we got a... I would be glad to receive that email. We got a message today from someone. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, we love people. We love it when people reach out to us, even when it's a little weird. What he was like. Do you want me to read it? I don't think. Do you think he listens to the show? I think he just randomly messaged us on Facebook. I, th- I think. Like, he, he just, like, found our page. Maybe. Well, and if you're listening... He lives in Shangri-La. Huh. Well, if you're listening, sir, then thank you for reaching out. It It made our day. Yeah. I'm now going to read your message on air. I didn't necessarily know how to reply. I apologize for that. Yeah, but uh, know that we appreciate you. I'm going to read it now. I'm a nihilist who believes art is life's only pure <laughs> facet. I think we exist purely by chance, and that is the end of it. However, we've been given a gift. Whether it be painting, writing, sculpture, etc., etc., we have the ability to describe all of the pain and beauty that's a consequence of existence. So why not? And to you, I say, why not? <laughs> why not? Why the hell not? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that should be you... our new sign out. Yeah. So why not? I heard the hash brown thing happen. I have hash browns in the yeah, toaster oven. I can, talk, um, I can talk the editorial. Yeah, so I was going to talk the editorial, but we could talk about... I forgot what we were talking about. It's been like two minutes now. Uh, I don't know. I have a hash brown tortilla in my hand, though. <laughs> Are we going to record with me just, like, munching on bread breakfast? Okay. We're back. All right. I finished my breakfast. Breakfast is taken care of. For anyone that's concerned, <laughs> this morning is just a series of me, like, trying to pigeonhole Maureen into recording an episode, and she's like, No! I gotta wear regular clothes. No, I gotta make breakfast. No, I gotta drink water. Yeah, no, I'm being really unreasonable yeah. this morning. I crack an authoritarian whip. Regular Joseph Stalin over here. Yeah, being really unreasonable. Oh, I ate too fast. Oh, my tummy hurts. Sorry, one second. <laughs> okay. Well, so on the note of people writing into the show, please write into the show. We love hearing from you. Oh, yeah. Let us know about your breakfast. Yeah, tell us about your breakfast. Yeah, absolutely. I love I love breakfast. Breakfast is a great meal. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say too before we get into like the um, I have a couple things that we're going to talk about. Mostly stuff that Scopy's published, the magazine's published. But um, 
one thing I really want to talk about is we really could use more writers. And how that looks like right now, sadly, is like we really had like less of a budget than before. Um, we've lost a couple donors, and so we still have some, obviously. But like, um, yeah, so the budget's really tight. Uh, but we really could, I really, the thing that we're starting to realize could be the thing that gets Scappy closer to financial solvency is um, more and more website traffic. So first off, check out the website because we're updating it every day so most likely there's going to be something new there um share the website uh let people know about it you know randomly click ads we put mentioned on an episode in the past um but uh, (laughs) do your part click an ad yeah we also are like constantly looking for more content so if you are a person who has written in the past who has wanted to write uh, who wants to learn about journalism um i have a lot of experience and i'm very i'm a pretty decent teacher um, I've done it in the past where I've worked with people that don't have a peace style experience or journalism experience, and I like doing it. And it means ultimately that there will be more content. And it means that ultimately we'll start to have like an actual Scopy staff of writers and stuff, which is extremely exciting to me. Um, because as we grow and as we get a more budget, like uh, we want to make it to a point where, you know, people can kind of like have a little steady income on reporting on arts and reporting on local politics. So. If you're a person listening that falls into that category or know someone that does, please, please, please have them reach out to me. I'll work out whatever we need to work out to make that happen. Uh, yeah, so that's the the main, my main, like, this is something that potentially would be at the end of the episode, but I just wanted to, like, hit this home because we, I really, as, so October is our, like, we're taking Scopy very seriously month. We're, like, working on getting our traffic up. We're, like, working on getting some sponsors going. Like, we're working on some serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, you know, I don't know. Help out however you can. Um, yeah. So the other thing that I know I really wanted to talk about, and it's really pretty much the first story that we can get into talking about on the show today, um, is the editorial. So this morning we woke up, and first off, give yourself a hug, everybody. Maureen, give yourself a hug. It's a good hug. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's just been a hard, you know, I mean, like, we're, as we're approaching this, like, political bent, like, it's great to do local politics, and we're trying to focus on that as much as possible, but I think because what's going on nationally is so aggressively tragic, like, every other day there's something, it's really hard. There aren't a ton of local politics, um developments i mean there's a couple and there's one that we'll talk about later um but uh you know it's it's everybody's dealing with the fact that like our president is insulting puerto rico who is going through a like major cataclysmic event uh and you know this morning um there was a mass shooting in las vegas and that is our uh, I so I try to write an editorial weekly. I might do them more frequently. I might do them less frequently. We'll see. Um, but so for those that aren't familiar with what that means, an editorial is when the editor in chief. Uh, so in the case of Scopy, that'd be yours truly writes an opinion piece, and whether or not that actually happens or not, it depends on the editor. Um, and it, any other opinion piece on the on the on a magazine is or a, on a newspaper is called an op-ed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. And then there's also, like, letters to the editor and stuff like that. Uh, but, so, I wrote 
this morning after reading a little bit about the uh, mass shooting because what right away I didn't want to comment on any details specifically to the mass shooting but um, one of the things that set itself up early is this idea of what terrorism is and it's a really really problematic space to be in when when you know we're talking about mass shootings and and, um, and all of this stuff because you know there's a there's a, a push by law enforcement to say whether or not the act is an act of terror or not. And the idea that, uh, that, you know, that it has, it's, it, it is actually really hand in hand tied in with the idea of not politicizing an issue, you know, like not politicizing a shooting, um, because it's, so that that basically ended up becoming the framework of my editorial and the idea that um, the way that we define terrorism right now is extremely uh, set up by the Patriot Act, which was the post 9-11 piece of legislature that, among other things, uh, tried to define terrorism. And it basically made the argument that terrorism is only when it is intentioned to affect a government or a like a body of people's decision making in other words when it's political uh and i I think that that's i think that's not okay like i think that that's wrong because are you are you saying that just because maybe this guy shot 50 people because he was a misanthrope that that's not terror, Phil? Like, is that... Why are, why are we co-opting the word terror? I mean, I think that the the idea that, you know, the, given the fact that he chose to open fire at an event with 22,000 people present, mm-hmm. that to me is terrorism enough. I don't... I genuinely do not see a distinction between somebody opening fire at a concert attended by 22,000 people, <clears throat> hold up in a room with multiple rifles... Um, I don't see a difference between that and somebody, you know, detonating a car bomb in a market. I mean, talk about premeditation. Like, Mm. you know how much she had to probably go through to get all that weaponry? It's like, it's insane. I mean, it's, Uh, sorry. Honestly, probably not much to get all that weaponry. The one thing I want to work on is ableist language on this topic, especially. Um, so I apologize. I just said insane. Uh, I don't really know. I I'm, I want to. I'll look up, up some research. In fact, if anybody is a is a um, a scholar, if you will, on ableist language, I would be super interested in a primer um, because it's something that we should really work towards uh, not using, especially because uh, folks are already trying to like push it towards that like lone wolf narrative, which is kind of like where I think generally will like fasten up this talking about a story in a boat because i don't want to like get too much into de- into the details <clears throat> yeah with, but with it's just something this, like, still developing right. it's, it's something that i don't want to like go on and on about yeah yeah it's just this like conflation of mental health and racism and just just call it terrorism yeah you know that's that's the whole the whole thought so anyway check that out um <clears throat> you know send thoughts Prayers, I guess. No, call your senators. Call your senators. Jesus, no yeah. thoughts and prayers don't do fucking anything. Well, I mean, I, I think there's, I think that 
it, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But if you're just doing that and not also calling your representatives, yeah. I think that's super important. I found a, a, a good script for calling your senators on gun control. And I'm probably going to post that on Scopy later because... Yeah. Call, like, action. <laughs> yeah. Do things. Right. No, I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> um, the other thing that I know... Well, let's talk about... Let's talk about, um... Let's talk about feeling trapped. Okay. In a... In a... In any kind of situation, whether it's, like, an emotional situation, whether it's, um, you know, a work situation, a financial situation. Um, Because I I think that that's something that a lot of people are feeling right now. Especially, um, there are, like, a million statistics out there that say that our generation is, you know, poorer than any other generation. And <clears throat> as such, I feel like a lot of people are clinging to jobs that pay their bills, perhaps, or at least partially pay their bills, but that they're not happy in because they're afraid. Hmm. Um f- that and I think that it's that fear of uncertainty that kind of I think that it got a, I think it can be traced back to like where we are in a lot of places like I think that fear of uncertainty is why a woman wasn't elected president I think that fear of uncertainty <clears throat> is why you know young people aren't getting hired I think that you know fear of uncertainty is you know to my point why a lot of people are in jobs that are bad for their mental health or, you know, bad for their lifestyle or aren't, are taking them for granted. Mm. I think it's the, it's one of the worst feelings in the world to go into work knowing that you're doing your best work or at least close to it. You know, that you're, that you're going to work and you're working hard and you care about what's happening and underneath all of it you know that no one really cares what you're doing and um that like it's going unnoticed and Mm. or if it is being noticed that other people are getting attention or are getting ahead well i mean i think it's really interesting because the way that a lot of the systems for work and like what we've as a society have deemed valuable are so weirdly bureaucratic and you know i think it's interesting like that's what a lot of folks that are really into privatization of everything are really against but then all of a sudden you have like capitalism building all of these bureaucratic structures you know i mean i know at least like something that happens here hold on all right the girly the girly's meowing a lot so i'm gonna give her pets i mean i i think for me it makes me think of what like we've what conventionalism has deemed like worthy that was kind of like what i was like about the but like getting the I, the dream is like getting some bureaucratic position like inside of a of a of a some rep like reputable 
business field and the thing is though is that like those those careers maybe they don't exist maybe they yeah i think that a lot of people have skills that are definitely very marketable like perhaps they're very knowledgeable about a certain about a a certain market or very you know very outgoing very you know have an innate ability to connect with people but like today what's frustrating is that like that's not really enough to get a job that will pay your bills like Mm -hmm. you need to know someone you need to you know it's honestly having stepped back from like making performing my life Mm. because i was tired of the politics and like having to make myself a commodity and fit inside of a certain box now that i'm out of that i'm finding that it's pretty much just more of the same yeah yeah, I mean, it's the same process. And, um, you know, even when you get into a major company's industry, like an entry-level job at any company is still a shitty entry-level job, no matter how qualified you are for a position greater than that. Like, there's still going to be a six-month to, six to year-long period where you're, you're not doing data enough. entry. Yeah. You're not getting paid enough. Right, exactly. Just because, like... There is a lot of grunt work that needs to be done, and all bureaucracy does is shift that brunt work to the lower rungs. And then it's like, oh, you don't have to do any grunt work. And it's like, well, I th- maybe what would be better is if everybody did a little grunt work, and then you actually had people that are specialized in the things they should be specialized doing what they need to do. Yeah. And I haven't, I feel like I haven't seen a corporate structure that has that, like, an adequate mixing of the grunt work, you know? And- yeah. No, I mean, when I, my job with True Brew, my job was entirely grunt work. It was, um, the person above me was basically responsible for, you know, the high caliber orders. She talked more with, like, she got to, she got to talk to the roasters and place orders with the roasters and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I, because I was new, I, was the first person I I was expected to be the person who always answered the phone. Yeah. I was expected to place all of the orders for office supplies. I did all of the filing. Um and like and- it was all that grunt work shit that made me want to leave because mm-hmm. I was like I'm here because I care about coffee and right. I'm not doing anything coffee adjacent. And all the things that are like interesting in that field, the like meeting new clients the like uh you know figuring out setting up clients tastings. needs that is all done by the same people and even as those people move to different positions like they will take the parts of the jobs that, that they, they like. think that they like with them to a different position and leave the shitty parts it's this it's just i don't know i i um i feel like i feel like right now if you're under 35, you're not happy. You know what I mean? Like, if you're under 35, you're not doing a job that you find enjoyable. Right. Because, like, everyone over 35 is like, we need to take care of us. Because we, we had to do a bunch of grunt work because people shit on us. You know? Yeah. It's this whole, like, thirty people that were younger than 35 get shit on. And the people that are above 35 have to keep that status quo alive. Yeah. So that's how... that's That's what I've been thinking about lately. Is, like... You know, we we work just as hard, we get just as little sleep, and we can't make ends meet. 
and it's especially true now that it's harder to make ends meet like we're Mm. living in a world where it's extremely hard to make ends meet and sadly like we need to be building new structures because post trump it's going to be even harder you know the last time that taxes were cut for the rich this aggressively um was after reagan and after reagan there was a was a recession and after reagan uh you know there was like reagan has set up a lot of the economic issues that we're living in now i mean reagan frankly set up the like the the practices the financial practices that uh set up the 2008 depression the idea of like hunting and loan uh loan servicing to folks that shouldn't be getting loans like the the um the tenets of neoliberalism post like financial freedoms the idea that the rich should have the liberal properties of like the of neoliberalism these like freedoms to do with their money however they please the freedoms to sign people up for loans that they can't potentially afford that's we're like looking at a reiteration of those principles with this trump presidency to the utmost um so you know i I mean that's kind of why like i feel like for me it's just become a matter of like figuring out especially in the arts when we're all trying to work in the arts like how do we build something that is outside of that how do we build that something that you know the our needs are met outside of capitalism outside of money maybe i don't know speaking of outside uh, outside revenue streams daniel and i are donating plasma on thursday if yeah. anyone one wants to come donate plasma with us. Multiple revenue streams. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Gotta get that side hustle. That side hustle. Gig I've, economy. I've read that I've read so many articles in the past couple weeks about like ways that you can easily make money and like let me tell you, I'm thinking about a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Like plasma donation, for instance. <laughs> It's just, like, the thing is, like, we're in such an amazing time for resources. Like, the resources that we need to live exist. Yeah. Like, it's it's all a fabricated, like, you know, if we create demand for resources, we can sell them for a certain amount and our mm-hmm. stock profits will, like, our stocks will go up or our f- profits will go up or whatever. Because they, like, there is a, like, a myth that the resources that we need food and water and and that they're more limited than they are i mean they're not unlimited yeah but i don't know <laughs> I, I could um i could get into the Pawar article yeah um do you have any like kind of like closing thoughts on yeah. this i don't know i think that I think that it's just really hard to be a young person right now. I think it's really hard to be everybody right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's important, especially right now, when everybody's kind of dealing with it and going through it, that we're all good to each other. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's kind of a generic sign off on a segment, but I think, you know, no one's, no one's completely happy and the people who are completely happy need to shut the fuck up. (laughs) And more collaboration. Like, I, I think that when, um, when we're set up to compete with each other and to vie for each other's positions and to vie for each other's anything um that like right now that's not what we need we really need to be working together and building things together um because that's super important and we're not going to get anywhere without doing that um so on that note the other thing i I know i want to talk about is the other article that i recently wrote uh for the magazine this one is not uh, subjective. This is an a piece of objective journalism on the campaign of a Mr. Amia Pawar, our it, alderman. Is it Amia? I've been saying Amia. Right into the show. <laughs> right into the show. I've been saying so, Amia. Yeah, so what's been going on a lot, and we've mentioned it on the show a few times, is the left in Chicago, which there is a rich left tradition of, of socialists and organizers and activists and all these things are trying to figure out who to rally behind. We met with, um, we went to a Reclaim Chicago event, which if you don't know about Reclaim Chicago, I recommend checking them out. Um, they work a lot with Indivisible Chicago, who were the folks behind the Handmaidens Bill that, not the Handmaidens Bill, but the Handmaidens Protests for HB40, which was an abortion access bill which was successful. Uh, Ronner ended up actually signing it, which is awesome, HB40. Um, but anyway, so uh, the left, these organizers and uh, folks outside of Chicago even, um, really started paying attention to the Illinois gubernatorial race when Daniel Biss elected, uh, or not elected, but chose uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa as his running mate. And we've talked about this on the show. But it was exciting because he was um, openly socialist. He's been working and organizing locally for POC, for folks that are poor, low income. Um, It was a really exciting prospect. Uh, And six days later, he booted uh, Rosa off of the ticket. And it it had to do with a federal concern. Um, It had specifically to do with Rosa's stance on BDS. Uh, So... That is all part and parcel to that, and we've talked about it on the show, like I said. But the interesting thing there is that it's kind of created this vacuum, because what you have now on the left for the Democratic Party uh, is you have Pritzker, who is getting pushed to the left day by day, um, but to uh, ignore the fact that he started off as a centrist Democrat would be a mistake. Uh, He is backed by Madigan, who is the... um, Illinois House Speaker, and he is frequently, honestly, lampooned by the right, and and potentially wrongfully so because they're you know they're doing it because they're racist or something. And not that Madigan's not white; he's also white. But like you know, he's doesn't also hate people that aren't white. But um, he's also got a little bit of the old guard of the Democratic Party in him as well, and that's kind of an 
interesting little. So I, I definitely recommend looking into Madigan and kind of trying to look at it, look at multiple sources with objectivity to kind of like form your own decision on or opinion on Madigan. Um, but a lot of progressives don't like him for various reasons. So there's that, and there's Chris Kennedy, who's also kind of this, you know, more center. I mean, he's a Kennedy, um, and not in a good way. I think JFK was probably the most radical K- Kennedy. Um, Wait, he's a Kennedy, but not in a good way? I mean, he's just like, that's what I'm saying, is he's, he's just... He's a shitty Kennedy? I mean, he's just like a milk toast, like, kind of center left. He's one of the, he's one of the worst Kennedys. I mean, he's, I, I, you know, I mean, well, here's the thing, so Chewie like, take just... a Kennedy, make it shitty, you... Well... <laughs> He's uh he's endorsed by Chewy. And I mean obviously all these things are my own opinions. And if you know more about Kennedy than I do, please write into the show if he's like secretly like, you know, organizing coups or something for socialists or something. I don't know. Is that what know. it takes to I don't be know. shitty? For for Daniel. Um <laughs> for me, for the radical leftists in the room. Um, but you know, I think that it's an interesting thing because Chewy was this progressive champion. Uh, a lot of folks really loved Chewy, and also um, Rosa was a big fan of Chewy, and so for him to kind of do this, uh, kind of more, not that Kennedy is is on the right side of the aisle by any stretch of the imagination, but he is definitely more right. Like he sits right more right than progressives do, or at least that's how progressives feel. So when Chewy, who was this like progressive champion left of rom like let's get rom emmanuel out of there person uh endorsed kennedy it was this kind of, it's this shakeup that's kind of making it's it's filling the vacuum not even filling it's it's expanding the vacuum that uh bis left when he kicked rose off um and so You've also got Pawar, who a lot of people don't talk about uh, for whatever reason. He, I think his funding is is probably the least of of the um, of the folks that are running right now. But he, uh, so they just did a Reddit AMA with him, and his big, the left had an issue with him. Is the left has an issue with everybody? Hmm. Um, <laughs> basic is the moral of this story. But the issue that the left had with Pawar specifically is the way that he treated Chewie in the mayoral election against Rahm Emanuel. Um, Because uh, he was part of a political stunt to bring books of budgets to Chewie's office during the election with a calculator, basically making this, like, political statement of, you know, let's, you need to learn how to balance up, like, you don't understand how a budget works you need to at least use a calculator, which was, like, kind of fucked up. But the thing is, though, that, and this is so, this is the development that just happened over the last few days, is uh, Puar and his running mate, Tyrone Coleman, who, like, we've talked about him on, them on the show as well, um, just ran a Reddit AMA, which is, for those that don't know any, uh, about Reddit, it's a magical place of racism and... Anyway, um, but an AMA is when they have folks go on and ask... Ask me anything is what mm-hmm. it stands for. Pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, so the there were so I followed the AMA. It was super interesting. There were a lot of leftists that chimed in and asked a lot of questions and some really fantastic ones. And the highlight for me was similarly. While we tend to think your rhetoric has been all right recently, we also see you as having close ties to Rahm Emanuel. 
In particular, we're not impressed by your participation in a stunt to call out Chewy Garcia for having unrealistic budgetary proposals by delivering the city audits with a calculator to him. Uh, yeah, and I then I linked to it. And then he answered uh, this question specifically, which was exciting to me because I don't think it's been... First off, I don't think that that question has been brought to him in that way. Uh, and I don't think he's answered it yet. And so... Uh, that press conference wasn't what I signed up for, and I had serious disagreement with how that was handled. I even told Carol Marin as much after she wrote the piece, Pilar said. Um, so that's specifically saying that he specifically said that he didn't have a hand in organizing that event. Um, and he goes on to say, all that said, why does my broader record of protecting consumer rights passing paid sick leave, creating the independent budget office, raising the minimum wage, why does that get pushed aside because of one event? I stand on my record and my mistakes, Poir said. I present that to you and say, judge me on the whole of this. I am proud that my work, my legislative efforts, have pushed Rahm Emanuel to the left. I fought him on school closings, red light cameras, veto voted against the parking meter deal, fought against charter school expansion, the Lucas Museum, and digital billboards and privatization efforts. This work took a lot of advocacy and a lot of time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think if, if, uh, if there are folks in the left that aren't entirely paying attention to what Powar is up to, because... A lot of left folks don't like reusing American rhetoric, and a lot of Pawar's rhetoric right now is about building a new deal for Illinois. And I mean, New Deal Democrats obviously love it. I I love it personally. Um, uh, but you know, I think that for whatever reason, there's just this overlooking of what Pawar is actually about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I think it's um. It's interesting, and it's blanketed over frequently. I mean, like, I've heard that story now about the budget books and the calculator, like, ten times. Progressives love that story. And it's like, he wasn't even the organizing person of it. And it's like, we're instead rallying, potentially, like, Chewy's potentially rallying behind um, Kennedy. A, sh- a shitty Kennedy. <laughs> what? Well, and it, well, it makes you wonder, though, too, like, if Pawar had just apologize publicly to Chewy in some way or if there'd been some kind of I don't know like I don't know I guess I just don't understand why he even did it why he even did it yeah I don't know I mean like if if he I think that I gotta imagine that and I'm obviously just uh because I mean if he if he claims to be pushing Rom to the to the left to the left like why did he go and like like play a weird like condescending practical joke on Chewy? well i mean the thing is with chewy's campaign is that it actually had a lot to do with the budget his a lot of his rhetoric has to do with balancing the budget and um, figuring out how to make it work so maybe the way that it was phrased was in a way that it wasn't like as condescending as it was but then it was championed by someone else entirely and the the post event piece was really the thing that people rallied behind the spin of the event not the actual event the the piece that Karl Marin wrote that he re- referenced in that answer was yeah. the thing that really um phrased it as this uh 
you know, they are being condescending to Chewie. Like, it may have... For Pawar, it may have... I mean, he also, like, admits that it's a mistake. It's something that I'd be interested in hearing more about. It's something that I'd, I'd be... Uh, to be, like, a fly in the wall in the room with Pawar and Chewie would be, like, super interesting to me. To, like, kind of hear that. Because it's not like they don't know each other, you know? Yeah. Um... So I don't know. I, I think it's an, an interesting development. And for me, uh, I, I don't think that that one event should completely delegitimize Pawar's campaign, especially when, like, it's just this exercise in, like, all of these gubernatorial candidates are just, like, everybody's got something wrong. And, and you know, it's no one's a perfect candidate. and. Um, at a certain point, like, we're gonna have to forgive somebody's mistakes, and, and frankly, I would, it's easier for me to forgive Pawar's mistakes than Biss, like, ousting an openly socialist, awesome Latinx, uh, organizing person who works locally and cares a lot about what his, you know, Rose has done amazing work, not just because, not just because he's affiliated with the DSA, like, folks that are in his district love him care about him dearly have reaped the benefits of how well he's organized um yeah and i mean i think that i think that overlooking that was a giant mistake on this part over something that doesn't even affect chicago and a, and a recent mistake you know like the poir mistake was a few years ago and his rhetoric has changed since then um I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I hope there's some kind of debate or something to... I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that's kind of my thoughts on all of that. You can check out the piece there. Share it with your friends. Um, cool. That's kind of my... Those are my two things, the, what we talked about. And Yeah. Honestly, I'd be cool to... Wrap it up? Yeah. So, I've been Daniel Johansson. Oh, you caught me when I'm yawning. Hey. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there are a lot of ways that you can do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. That is our website. We post all of our articles there, uh, all of our podcasts, and all of our video recordings as well. Um, you can also find us in all these social media places on Instagram. Or, I'm sorry, on Facebook, it's under Scopy Magazine. On Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Play, and iTunes Podcasts, it's under Scopy Mag. And we spell that S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G. And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Everything that we've been able to do up to this point has been through your generosity. So first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, we could use a little bit more help. If you're in a position to give, you can head to our website, scopymag.com, go to our About section. You can give in a couple different ways. I keep, like, messing with this microphone. I'm so sorry, everybody. That's okay. Um, you can give in a couple different ways. You can either do a one-time donation. If you choose to do that, you will have our eternal gratitude. If you choose to give on a monthly level, some cool things will happen. Uh, our two next donors at giving at any level are going to get a bag of half-wit coffee. Um, and then at uh, $10 a month, you're going to get a free session of studio photography with Daniel Johansson once a month. We're good for headshots in a pinch. We could also do like Christmas card stuff. You know, if you have like a, a like a, like a weird conceptual idea that doesn't need the most, the most 
fancy of of backdrops were good for that um yeah uh and at 25 dollars a month you get to be a part of our affiliate program which is where um we list you on our website as a charitable person organization or business who is supporting of local art we'll include a link to um your organization your personal page your business um we have pretty considerable website traffic so it's cheap advertising and then we'll give you a little sticker that says like i support local art scopy magazine affiliate um yeah so all good things am i right yeah give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something yep